friends, welcome back. Welcome back to the board game interview room. Uh, this is a podcast in which, as the name says, we interview people in the board game industry. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is a very, very special episode because we are recording actually live. This is not over Skype, which is why the sound quality is slightly different. I am sitting around the table and I have a co-interviewer host with me. I'm Cesare Patterson. And you should be um, familiar with uh, Ches voice because um, he's uh, the nice voice in the Board Game Review podcast. Well, thank you very much. Right, interview, sirs, ladies, gentlemen. Uh, today it's also very special because I have with me, literally a less than one foot distance, I have Martin Vogt, who is the human being, or so he claims, designing Lords of War. Hello. Martin, Lords of War has been massively successful. Like, proper, proper massively successful. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah. In quite a brief period of time, we've gone from nothing at all to being available in in about 20 countries, just over 20 countries now. Yes, why aren't you rich yet? Uh, because we're still sort of breaking through. You know, retailers are increasingly having faith in the game. Basically, mm-hmm. as they play it, they pick it up, like it, and go, I see what this is. <laughs> and then they can start selling it. But uh, it takes time to establish your distribution networks and to get retailers selling through. You know, word of mouth only travels as fast as word of mouth travels. Mm. So we've won over quite a few distributors, but there are still quite a few that we're waiting to win over. Um, but the other way to look at it is uh, Lords of War Orcs versus Dwarves was released in December 2012. Mm-hmm. And between December 2012 and the UK Games Expo in May of 2013, we'd possibly sold maybe... 300 copies of Lords of War in total. Okay. Then between last UK Games Expo and the one we've just had, mm-hmm. we sold in, in the region of 10,000 copies. Ooh, not bad. That's, uh, that's quite a jump. It well is. Well done. Yeah, thanks, uh-huh. thanks very much. <laughs> but quite scary to try and handle, if you see what I mean. Um, particularly as two teachers, mm-hmm. we, we both work full-time <laughs> uh, and run the company in the evening. For us, it's an enormous amount of work trying to fit in all of the different things we need to be doing because we're not just the designers of this game, but we're also the publishers. You know, Blackbox Games is a small publishing company. So as we've sold through so many copies of the game, we've basically had to find capital from elsewhere to keep printing. And as the money comes back from printing, we've kind of had to keep printing more while still artworking, creating new products. Mm. And when you look at the way that, that most of your large publishing companies, particularly card game, whether that's LCG or CCG games, they're releasing a new product. There's something new coming online every two months. Yes. And that's what distributors and retailers like because it keeps the community excited for the next thing that's coming up and the next exactly. thing that's coming up. And um, perhaps foolishly, when Nick and I came up with the idea for Lords of War, we, we wanted to have products that didn't need more stuff, if you know what I mean. They're mm-hmm. kind of complete in the box. Right. So you can have just Elves versus Lizardmen, Lords of War, Elves versus Lizardmen, and play that by itself without the need for any of the other stuff. And we hadn't factored in, probably naively, that mm-hmm. retailers would want so much more stuff as months go by. So that's put quite a lot of pressure on us. And so... You know, I'm not rich because I have to keep spending the money that's coming in. <laughs> you know, working our artist as, as hard as we can to get stuff done and just printing, delivering, logistics, paying shipping. Mm. Um, it's exciting, but it is quite nerve-wracking. I bet. 
No, that's that's quite a feat. How many of you are actually working on these games? Yourself, Nick, you've got an artist, is it? Yeah, so we so we have an artist who works for us. He's not part of the company. We pay okay. we so we pay him uh, to do, you know, particular uh, a price per card, if you see what I mean. So right. price per card, price per box. He does our typesetting and everything else. All of the copy I write, so you know, rules and instructions, manage the website. So we had we had to pay for a website, obviously, and then I managed that. Um, and yeah, that's it, really. So all mechanics, games design, then negotiation with printers, shipping, negotiation with distributors, direct sales to retailers, direct sales to consumers through the website. Nick and I handle all of that. And so far, we've worked for what I don't know. In total, the development of the game's probably been since Nick and I decided we were going to embark on a project about three years. So three years of, of hard work um, and no cash in yet. Mm. But hopefully we <laughs> will uh, do quite nicely as long as the game keeps blossoming and blooming, mm. which, you know, fingers crossed it will. What actually made you take the decision to go pro with this? Because it's not something that you do lightly. I, mean, you, I can imagine you had an idea as to how much work was going to go into it, but probably not really a proper idea no no we had no clue how hard it was going to be <laughs> i'll be absolutely frank with you um i mean there's kind of two questions there but, but the first one you asked was why do it hmm. um and that really comes down to the fact that i've been designing games you know with pencils and paper since i was a child a really young child you know i've been into gaming my whole life card gaming and board gaming has been something that my family did an enormous amount. I, I grew up overseas in the third world, mm -hmm. and in a lot of the places that we lived, there wasn't electricity for long swathes of time. Right. So in the evening, by candlelight, as a family, mm -hmm. we would play all of your classic, iconic mm -hmm. board games. And that buried itself deep into my mind, and I started to build and design my own, uh, and kind of always thought it would be a hobby. Um, you know, as I was growing up, it became fairly clear that kind of computer programming was your route into games design. Mm. Uh, I didn't think about releasing new board and card games, but over the course of my sort of you know, late teens and twenties into you know into where I am now, about to turn thirty, the board game industry's had a bit of a renaissance. And it's come back to life again. There's been a lot of new products that have come online. And of course, we've had a lot of legacy products that never went away. Uh, but, you know, European gaming, and, and particularly the German market, has, has pushed into the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if you talk to the international publishers, they still say that the UK is the hardest market to sell games to break, in. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so basically, I was always designing games, you know, uh, sort of DMing. D and D, you know, designing boards and maps and puzzles and other little side games and side quests and so on and so forth. And then I met Nick through um, through a friend, and you know, he designed games, I designed games, and we both probably had been doing the same thing more or less for, for the same amount of time. Um, particularly him in wargaming, he's a, he's a much more much, he'd always been much more of a figures kind of guy. But having the two of us. Together, you know, he's got a PhD. I'm not too idiotic, I, I hope. <laughs> but kind of, we figured, right, two reasonably bright guys, we should be able to do this. Let, let's have a go at it. And originally, we didn't look to self-publish. Mm -hmm. We actually uh, sold a couple of our concepts, but those concepts weren't developed by the people who bought them, largely because of the recession. 
So we figured rather than spending so much time developing games that would never be made or could never be made, if you know what I mean, like publishers could just choose to, to sit with them on the shelf and make sure nobody else got a hold of them, mm-hmm. we figured, right, let's attract some investment and actually do one ourselves and make it a product that is relatively inexpensive to produce, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it is just cards and some paper and a cardboard box. Mm-hmm. But also have it plug into something that I don't see enough of, frankly, personally, which is something you can carry around in your pocket, mm-hmm. but which has rules that can be picked up in five minutes or ten minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has levels of strategy. So there's rules that can be layered in over time, which means if you're a hardcore game player, there's a lot more to Lords of War than there might be for your five-year-old child who can also learn to play the game. Okay. So that was that was the objective, really, with, with the project. Now, why Lords of War? Because I can imagine you have a stack of design games in your home that are screaming to be made into full products. Why yeah. this one? Well, firstly, I think just from the look of the cards, it, it's clear that it's not something you've seen before. Okay. Uh, the mechanic with the arrows and the defense values, just not something that's out there in the marketplace. You know, A lot of LCG and CCG games look the same. They've got a picture and some writing underneath. Mm-hmm. And we knew that this mechanic was so simple that uh, anyone could kind of pick it up. And it wasn't language specific, mm-hmm. which again, from making it ourselves it makes it a lot easier to be able to send it around the world mm. if it doesn't require you to be reading all the time, doesn't require multiple versions to be translated. You know, if your English is okay, you're going to be able to pick up Lords of War. Well, fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> so, um, so, so that's really why, why this product in particular. Also, you know, a lot of our other designs, frankly, aren't as elegant. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like this is our, one of our best ideas. Okay. The other thing to factor in is production costs. You know, just doing this was massively risky for us as individuals. Uh, but if you're starting to think about, you know, finding somebody to manufacture you components, uh, manufacture you boards, manufacture you cards as well, mm-hmm. manufacture you boxes, plastic inners perhaps, mm-hmm. then to get all of those things into the same place and assembled, um, it's it's unlikely in my mind that you're going to be able to keep a business like that going for too long without tens of thousands of pounds mm-hmm. you know if not hundreds of thousands of pounds so uh, also without a, a sort of established license or particularly a name on the box mm-hmm. that is easily recognizable you know we've seen many many people just in the time that we've been doing what we've been doing because there was a, a long period of market research that went into and testing of the game, where we went around game shows and gaming clubs and so on, testing it and making sure that we got it right Mm -hmm. before we actually launched into the art working process and then printing and producing and then distributing the game. But we've met a lot of games designers in that period of time who've come up with brilliant ideas for games, uh, then sort of taken, like, a remortgage their house or, like, spent all of their savings, like, dropped 20 grand... Mm -hmm. Uh, printing 3,000 copies of a board game that's extraordinarily complex, that's, you know, really, really intelligent, that they and their <laughs> friends really like. But, you know, Nick and I are kind of sat there going, well, you know, good luck. That's a, you know, really hard route through to success in this industry. You know, it's so, so competitive. Mm. You know, people are getting knocked out every which way. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, uh, we see how many games are released on a, on a monthly basis. I mean, we've always got something to review. How did you 
uh, go about distributing this? Did you start with smaller, like local shops, or did you go to some various companies and say, you know, can you sell this in your stores across the country? I, I imagine you started in the UK. And yeah, that's right. Uh, our objective was to break the UK first, okay. which was extraordinarily naive because <laughs> uh, the, the UK follows what Germany and the States are doing. Wow. Right? Okay. So our, our buyers or shop buyers for your large chains in the UK and for distributors, they are looking at what's selling in the States and looking at what's selling in Germany and going, right, we can sell that here. No worries. Particularly if it's made it to America and been successful there, it's already in English. So it's simple to just peel off some of the large number that are printed in the United States and distribute them in the UK. Mm-hmm. So we had an idea of the distributors, the biggest distributors, and we kind of researched them as we were going along the development of the product. And we contacted them while we were in development of the product saying, hi, we're working on a game. Any advice would be really fantastic. Radio silence. <laughs> you know, nothing. No response. And even after the game was out, still radio silence. We And, you know, I'm saying this, saying, like, Nick and I call some of these companies. We're still calling them every day. Right? So uh, there's an American distributor, who I won't name, who's very large. They are, you know, on the f- whenever we do get through to them on the phone or email, they're so excited about Lords of War. They really want to get it out there into the marketplace. They're talking about getting it into Target and this and that and the other. And kind of giving it all that. Mm-hmm. But actually when it comes to them committing to taking an order for the product, they just kind of vanish and disappear. Mm-hmm. So, and we, you know, all we can do is keep on badgering them and badgering them and badgering them. Because they know they've got a certain amount of no-brainer products. Right, Fantasy mm. Flight products, Wizard of the Coast products, yeah. Z-Man Games products, Steve Jackson products. You know, some of these really, really, you know, Mayfair Games. Let's not forget about Hasbro, mm. obviously. Yes. These huge companies where if they're coming out with a new product, they obviously are going to be stocking it. Absolutely. So why risk shelf space in retailers for something that you don't know for certain is going to sell? And that's kind of the challenge that we face. So. It wasn't until we won the UK Games Expo Best Strategic Card Game. And, and when we did that, we beat the Doctor Who card game, and we beat the Star Wars card game, and we beat the new Munchkin version. That was like, right, who are these guys? And how are they winning awards over? And for, that was the same for us. It, we didn't think we stood a hope in hell of winning. But because we did, all of a sudden, firstly, that gave us something to send out kind of press releases and email people saying, hi, we've just won this award. You know, do you remember us? We've been trying to get in touch with you for you know, the last 18 months or however long it might be. Uh, but also it kind of gave some credibility to the product generally when it came to talking directly to consumers. So there were some retailers in the early days that we went in and met with and demoed the game for them. And they were like, okay, I can sell this, no problem. And those guys, <clears throat> you know, we, we've, we've sold tens if not hundreds sometimes through local retailers in this area who know they can get the community building because their friends can play the game they're familiar with the mechanic people are talking about it it's selling itself to a certain degree but when it's a retailer say in the Czech Republic who doesn't have a clue who we are she's never played the game before Mm -hmm. why would they opt to buy Lords of War over one of those other products the onus is really on us Nick and myself directly to get in touch with as many people as we can literally who own shops mm-hmm. where wherever they are in the world to kind of give them an explanation of what the game is who we are what we're trying to do what the game represents and find out if there are ways we can help them because 
we have to help people. That's yes. the only way. You know, it's, it, we can't just make something and expect people to love it. You've got to sell it. And so we have to be salesmen. We have to find out who the people who are going to be selling the game, what they need, basically, mm. from us. This is quite, quite a lot. Now, one thing that I have always found quite interesting about you guys is that you have kept the production in the UK. You sure. haven't gone China way. Yeah. Even though going to China way maybe wouldn't have saved you a lot of money, but it could have given you a lot more products. Why do you keep it here? Well, I mean, we've now started to diversify, so we are starting to print in China for the first time now. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, the intention was to basically make something in the UK to try and... Because we were in the recession and we were all stuck in that recession, mm-hmm. it was right, let's get manufacturing going in the UK, what can we do here, so on and so forth. But what we've actually experienced is some really, really bad customer service, actually, Ouch. from our UK printers. Mm. Uh, not only are their prices much higher, but actually the quality of what they've delivered has been lower than we've had uh, from China. And also, they've been late, they've made print errors. So in our first version of Orcs versus Dwarves, they actually printed an older version of the rules, Ouch. which still had some errors in. So Nick and I then manually had to take the rules out of like 2,000 decks. So we had to open up the boxes, you know, open up the, the cardboard box, take the decks out, open them up, take the rules out, then manually correct with pen and cutting out bits of paper to stick over the rules to say, Jesus. And we didn't know that at first. It was only once people started playing the game and they were coming back to us with questions saying, hi, what about this, what about that? Mm. And we're like, oh my God, how can this have possibly happened? Uh, so madly frustrating but for us there was no option to just get it reprinted because this is you know money we need to make back you know we owe this money to people mm. so there's a lot of pressure that comes with that kind of commitment that's that's horrifying uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not surprised you've uh you've gone a different route um Okay, so Orcs versus Dwarves was your first. Yeah. First, how many expansions have you made since? We've got a few here, but yeah. this isn't everything, is it? Well, that is. That's it. So oh, okay. far, that's, that's it. That's so it. we've got Orcs versus Dwarves, which okay. came out in December of 2012. Yeah. Then Elves versus Lizardmen, which came out in August of last year. And the two of those together won the UK Games Expo Best Strategic Card Game Award. Yeah, I can see that. Then... Because we sold out, basically, of Elves and Lizardmen and, and Orcs versus Dwarves at the same time as we were trying to artwork Templars versus Undead, we ran out of capital. So we had to go to Kickstarter to basically bring more money into the company so that we could kind of keep expanding. Because Templars versus Undead, and there are more Lords of War products, it's not a state secret. People know that they've been designed. Some people out there have demoed them for us and made sure that they are balanced and they work and so on. But anyway... Um, Templars vs. Undead was all ready to go, apart from we didn't have capital. So Kickstarter, we ran a campaign from uh, November to December last year, and that brought in about £24,500 for us. Uh, Our goal was £20,000, and we knew that we needed £20,000. Like a lot of people who go into Kickstarter campaigns, I think they cock up because they don't actually know how much it's going to cost to make and deliver 
the product that they're yeah. making. Yeah. Whereas for us, we knew exactly what it was going to cost for the print run, for the shipping, for the artwork, mm. plus some extra stuff. So we had some extra things off the side of the Kickstarter, which are like some yeah. exclusive shiny cards and some card tins and some like luxury play mats, little bits and bobs like that. And some of that was, was we printed quite a few because they proved to be very popular and we're continuing to sell those at the mm. moment. And actually selling really well, which is very exciting. But because we exceeded the... Uh, goal of the Kickstarter campaign that allowed us to fund the weather and terrain expansion pack Mm -hmm. which is actually something that we developed for an app that we were having built which we talked about in a previous small interview yeah where basically the weather and terrain expansion pack add a whole load of variations into the game so you know Lords of War uh, is a, a sort of strategic card game which it, you know, it can, to a certain degree, boil down to a pure skill-based experience, okay. which can be quite tough, can be quite harsh on people. Something a bit like chess or checkers or that kind of game where, uh, strategically, it's really down to you. Um, and we found that with our Magic the Gathering players and some of the kind of lighter card game players, that that was a little bit intense at times. Mm-hmm. They, they kept describing <laughs> Lords of War as like the most stressful game they've ever played. <laughs> Because uh, they knew, yeah, they knew it was all down to them if they failed. So the weather and terrain expansion pack uh, just offers a bit more levity to the game. Mm-hmm. It sort of adds a bit more wobble to the mechanic. So it doesn't break it; it doesn't come off its hinges or anything. But basically, it just means that there are more variables, a bit more change in there, and uh, sort of increased novelty value, I mm-hmm. suppose. Which isn't something that I'd necessarily personally choose as a gamer, but mm-hmm. clearly that's what people fancied mm-hmm. and so you know we we just got to supply what they want, want. Yeah, exactly absolutely. so where where are you at with the app because we know that the if i remember correctly the stories that you were the company was developing the app for you that yep. company was bought by games workshop well they, they signed a deal with games yeah. workshop so i weren't bought by but yeah yeah and the games workshop saw that they were producing your game and they fed Oh, conflict of interest, shut yes. it down. Yes. And um, I cannot say the F word in this podcast, <laughs> but that's pretty much what they did. Yeah, I mean, it was for me a moment of enormous personal heartbreak. I bet. Because not only had we worked really hard to get the app basically ready, and, you know, we'd, we'd done a deal with Google Play where it was going to be pre installed on Google Play devices. So, you know, we had this opportunity for kind of massive exposure. Um, and no, you know, shut down. There's nothing we can do about it. The source code is owned by this company. Um, Games Workshop won't let us have it. Anytime we try and enter into any kind of discussion, they uh, get very legal with us. And obviously, we can't afford a massive legal battle as a small company. Mm-hmm. So we, after a little bit of wriggling and struggling, kind of just had to walk away. And now we're looking to find uh, a new app developer. And we currently have two developers that we're in discussions with. I mean, they're quite early discussions, to be frank. But they are at least discussions. Um, the trouble is we can't even build on what we had previously. No, you know, the, the code is locked. The code is locked, exactly. So you have to start the AI from beginning yeah. and everything from scratch. Everything from scratch. And because the, the game is quite a strategic, tactical game, mm-hmm. AI is really hard to get right for yeah. it. Um, you know, we found with the previous version of the app, we still weren't happy with the AI that we built, but we ended up just kind of calling it a training mode, if you see okay. what I mean. Because, <laughs> you know, computers can't think as, as smart as human beings. Not yet, no. You know, they just can't do mm. it. 
Uh, we do have a team at York University who um, they've been working with Lords of War. They, they were actually the guys who developed the AI for Duels of the Planeswalkers, the Magic the Gathering, oh, yeah. uh, Xbox yeah. 360 and PS3 game. Yeah, so it's also available on Steam. Um, but yeah, they were using magic to kind of build AI and test AI and bench press it and work on decision-making trees and everything else like that. And we met them at Essen. Um, and because we're a UK company and they're, they're obviously based in the UK, we got talking. They took away uh, Orcs versus Dwarves and Elves versus Lizardmen, whacked them into uh, a model and then let their AI play with it. And they found that actually it was much, much harder for the AI to succeed with Lords of War than it was with Magic the Gathering. Ooh, and it became okay. basically their alternative for bench pressing their AI, which for us is obviously very flattering. <laughs> yeah. feels yeah. rather nice. That's good. Uh, and it's also quite cool to have a, like our first academic paper mm. has now been published. It's being presented <laughs> at this ICCC conference in Beijing in July. So, yeah, Laws of War. That's uh, really cool. Yeah. yeah that's really awesome. cool. Kind of crazy. And it's nice that, you know, that came out of my, my brain. My, yeah. My brain That's your that. fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. So what's in the pipeline now? What's, what, what are you guys planning? You, you've already hinted at new expansion that's yeah. done on the Democracy? So we have, we have two things that we're working on at the moment. One of them is an expansion that builds on Orcs versus Dwarves. Although, mm-hmm. you know, if you've not played Lords of War, any of the armies are cross-compatible with one another, and there's a ranking system mm-hmm. for all of the soldiers in your army that basically allows you to be- uh, like build a deck mm-hmm. without the game becoming unbalanced. Um, so this new expansion pack is basically Orcs versus Dwarves 2, but it's kind of Orcs versus Dwarves, Mages and Monsters is what we're calling it. And it introduces a few more mechanics to the game, which nobody's seen apart from the people who've tested it for us. And there is the same coming for Elves versus Lizardmen and Templars versus Undead over time. And they introduce a few things. They introduce flying units, they introduce monstrous creatures, which have different qualities to how they can be damaged by other units, introduces a couple more commanders, and in particular spell casting, which is a really cool uh, mechanic which sort of brings tokens into the game as well a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that. And then we're also, towards the end of this year, going to be running a Kickstarter for Lords of War World War Two, where we're going to have an Allies versus Axes uh, pack. The idea of that being that not only will you obviously be able to play allies versus axis, but then you can blend up your armies with your fantasy. That's so cool. Guys. <laughs> really? That's going to mix in with the, yeah. the previous. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, let's... <laughs> so, so you, you can then do. That's what was missing from World War II. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. So you can then do allies versus the lizard men or, you know, elves versus Nazis. Um, and that was always the idea. It was always the plan to start bringing in kind of weird and wonderful stuff. Like, you know, Smash Up is a really simple yes. game, but, you know, it's got that kind of fun element of, like, crazy, mm. you know, collisions of things that you wouldn't actually think of colliding. And for us, it's like, well, what would it be like to, you know, see an orc army uh, bombed by <laughs> a B-17? That would, that would be, be cool. cool, and why has no one made that game? Wait, shut up, Martin. Don't tell other people your ideas. Just make the damn game. So that's kind of where we are now. So yeah, World War Two, and, and the objective with that, with that would be to deliver it f- in time for the UK Games Expo next year. Awesome. Um, Orcs versus Dwarves 2, you know, if everything goes right, which I'm hoping it will do, that will be out for Christmas this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got busy, busy times ahead. 
We've also got um, uh, Heidelberger. I don't know if you're familiar with Heidelberger, yeah. but they are, you know, the pretty much the largest games publisher in the in world. Germany, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in the world, though, man. I mean, it's not just Germany. Yeah. And they've taken on Lords of War and are translating it into German. So we have a German version of Lords of War, which should be coming out in sort of August, September time, which yeah, is fantastic for us, obviously. So basically, for 2015, yeah. uh, we already know who's going to win both the Spiel de Jarrett and the UK Games Expo. <laughs> In a nutshell, that's, that's kind of what's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that would be, it would be really nice. Although this year, Templars vs. Undead was nominated for a UK Games Expo uh, in the best uh, expansions or accessories category, and it got beaten by a, a dice bag. So that put us in our place. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh that hurts. <laughs> yeah, it did. Oh. Yeah, especially that would have been a hat trick. Three, because... Is it 2000? Yeah, they were the same oh, yeah. year. It won the same year. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, this one wasn't actually properly printed at that time. Uh, it was a version that... Yeah, we're talking about Elves versus Lizardmen. Um, when that was nominated for the UK Games Expo, it was uh, a version that Nick had printed out on his LaserJet printer um, and then with a scalpel cut, sliced and, and assembled for them and then submitted. So that was kind of groovy. That's awesome. Uh, to have that one. And that's the one that's in the games library at the UK Games Expo as well. Uh -huh. So they've got the, the one of... They like, have the prototype one. Yeah, only like three prototype versions. Which that's is, the sort of uh, thing that in 50 or 60 years time somebody will take to the Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well... Martin, thank you so much for being with us today. As, 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 as I knew it was going to be because I met you at, at Salute and we had a chance to, to chat for a while. It's been an absolute pleasure having you around. It's really exciting to see what you guys are doing uh, and, and how this game is progressing. And I, I cannot wait to see and be able to basically obliterate the axis <laughs> with undead and dwarves that would be amazing well thanks very much it has been uh, wonderful to chat to you guys and if you want to have me back at any time you just let me know i'm only up the road well you are <laughs>